Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Vent. This is Vent Weekly. A collaboration between Vice and Brent 2020. London Borough of Culture. Let's get a cracking. Sabrina. Santos. Vent Weekly. Today, we're doing something a little bit different. We've had a request from another young person in Brent, Abdul Riaz, and that's what we're talking about today. I'm British Kashmiri, born here, raised there. And I care about what's going on there politically, but I don't hear about it on the news anymore, even though the situation is ongoing. Who decides what's newsworthy and what's not in the UK? Today, we've invited foreign correspondent Hind Hassan and fellow Brentonian Abdul Riaz, whose question you just heard to talk about media reporting and foreign correspondence, particularly around Kashmir. Could you both introduce yourselves? Hi, I'm Abdul Riaz. I'm 20 years old. I just finished my three years studies in engineering in college. I'm also doing part-time study in language. And of course, I'm part of the Brentley's Ambassador Club, if you want to say. And um, yeah, here I am. My name is Hind Hassan. I'm a correspondent at Vice News before there. I was at Sky News and I report from all over the world, Europe, Asia and the Middle East. Dope. When you watch the mainstream media, do you, do you feel like the person on the other side is reflects you or where you come from or your friends or your family? No. In my opinion, unlike mainstream media, I feel like, especially like the news, I just feel like it's um, presenters, you know, being told what to read out of... You know, like, they don't really have the opportunity to share their actual own opinions and their own thoughts. Yeah, I, th- I think what, you, what you're trying to say is that the news outlets, probably the the top dogs out in the, on the company, they kind of enforce what you need to say. Yeah, exactly. A narrative, basically. And then the people at the bottom just have to go with it. Yeah, they just have to show their face on TV and kind of, like, tell the news how they've been told to tell it. And it's like, yeah. What about you? What about you, Abdul? Do you see yourself... Or do you see yourself represented <sighs> or reflected when you watch the news? Okay, for example, let's say me as a Muslim. <laughs> you hear a lot of news outlets talk. They make words out like Islamist. When you hear Islamist, you you probably think terrorist or something like that. Um, my religion is not really portrayed as a as where a lot of people follow it. So I wouldn't say I am kind of portrayed accurately nor represented properly. It's really interesting what what all of you have said, actually. So the journalists that work in news organisations do tend to have a a big input in the questions that they ask and the news that they do. But, you know, the agenda or or what news is put out there is determined by editors, sub-editors, and 
there is a kind of general agreement about what the main news stories are, but then all the journalists do have quite an input. But I think a, a lot of people, a uh, new generation of people, w- want to consume news that they can relate to in a more natural way, which is why they might enjoy documentaries more, because they feel as though with a documentary, they can see somebody who's on the ground interacting, and that feels more real to them than watching someone read off an auto cue. And then what you said, Abdul, in terms of your religion not being represented the way that you think is is representative. I think that's also, there is an issue with the media in general that we can't deny. And, the, and that is that you have a higher percentage of people who come from private school backgrounds that work in journalism. And it's not one of the most accessible industries and it's not one of the most diverse industries. So just to get um, everyone on the same page, Abdul, could you just say where is Kashmir and what is happening there? Right, um, Kashmir is basically in the subcontinent, the northern peninsula, near the Himalayas. So let's just quickly go over it. The British Empire, we all learnt about it, came with the East India Company as a trading post and then obviously traded. It was a genuine trading company, traded silk and so on. Then politics came in, the Mughal Empire kind of cracked, started to show they took over, seven years war was over, the French colonies taken by Britain. Uh, after World War II, pressure comes in now from everybody to kind of let go of the colonies, among which was India, although some continent, some continent sorry. Muhammad Ali Jinnah wanted a Muslim majority state, which will now be known as Pakistan. And then Muhammad Gandhi was, was modern day India. But there was a princely state, which was Jammu and Kashmir, which wanted to remain independent by Hari Singh. So they, they kind of made a deal so they don't get pressured. But what happens, pro-Pakistani rebels and Pashtun tribesmen come and invade Western Kashmir and take it over. Hari Singh asks for help from India and India is like, okay, we'll help you, but you have to kind of join us. Oh, and then they make a deal, they come, become semi-autonomous, which is when they get the Article 370, they kind of get a special status. So that, that's when Azad Kashmir comes in and Jammu Kashmir the modern state. And Pakistan's like, no, is a, uh, Jammu and Kashmir is a majority Muslim nation. India's like, no, Hari Singh gave it to us. So now it's like a kind of a battle going on here, tug of war. And two wars have been fought over it and uh, in long-term insurgency. That's kind of like the backdrop, quite simply. Tensions are building again, like last year, World War was about to loom ahead of us. That's kind of how I can put it. Most people don't want it to be governed by India, preferring either independence or union with Pakistan instead. Like, could you explain that a bit more to us and maybe let us know what you think about that? Uh, Washington Post kind of uh, made a post about this, talking about how Kashmiris either want US intervention or Western kind of nations kind of helping them out, whatever. Or they lack to vote or to kind of make their own decision. Because right now, what's happening, India saying no, it's mine. Pakistan saying no, it's mine. So, better yet, let the Kashmiri people decide what they want to do with their future. Hind, you've also reported on this. What are your thoughts? From what Abdul has said, that's very much reflected on the ground from the people that we've spoken to. So, when we went to Pakistan-administered Kashmir, absolutely the feeling there was the desire to have the right to self-govern or, you know, to to have more freedoms and, and control over their own uh, futures. 
So a similar thing is happening in my country. So I'm Nepalese, so I'm from Nepal. And um, when in November 2019, when India released that map that you're now saying that they claimed Kashmir, they also claimed a land of Nepal's. So why do you think that they, we don't really hear about this in the news and they don't represent like my country or yours? Why would they? That's the first question you should ask yourself. What was it, in, was it, was it for them? Mm. Because the idea of... Uh, them doing it for humanity's sake is quite ridiculous, let's be honest there. For example, when the looming of world war was happening, this affected the global, uh, globally now. This was a news to grab people's attention. This is money making for them. If it's not making money for them, why are they going to portray any news mm. for them? Actually, ind- independent news medias, that's what we need to kind of focus on more now because they kind of grasp the true meaning of what's happening on the ground. Um, I definitely agree with you about it not being like newsworthy and especially because we're a small country but I just find it funny like because we have Mount Everest so when Nepal's in the news it's mainly about Mount Everest and people climbing it when loads of people from Britain and America go climbing it but when it comes to actually caring about our country, it's like everybody chooses to ignore it. What, What normally happens, Vice is very unique in that we can, we get to pitch stories from everywhere and underreported stories are always covered but then there are other news organizations that I have worked at and generally if you're at one of the the main media organizations you'll have sorry when I say main I mean main mainstream tv organizations such as the BBC or Sky News or ITN what they'll have is uh, you know a foreign desk and they'll have a home desk they'll have planners they'll have various different levels and desks of people who are working on different things. They'll have science, investigations, uh, technology. So in all these different desks work on the particular areas that they're assigned to. And when it comes to the vast majority of news that fills up the vast majority of the day, that tends to be home news. And that will cover whatever the biggest story of the day is in that country, whether it's, um, you know, the response from the government for COVID-19, whether it's uh, what's happening with Brexit, whether it's a debate that's going on in Parliament. That tends to dominate the vast majority of the news and very naturally as it would so, because that's what the majority of the people in the United Kingdom might be interested in. But then the international desk will also be pulling together all the big news stories from around the world. But then sometimes the reason why I think some news stories are not covered as much as they can, or a lot of stories are underreported, or they might not be front and centre as they should be, there's a number of different reasons. Political relationships with the with the United Kingdom, for example, geography, something happening in France is a lot closer and would potentially have more impact on the stability of this country. But then also, I guess... There is an element of money, finances. So even though there are incredibly important stories that are taking place, you know, in different countries, the reality is that news organisations, apart from the BBC, which is publicly funded, they are private companies and they need to bring in the money. And if they do not have the audience uh, figures or people watching a, a certain you know, are interested in a certain country, then it's a lot more difficult to be able to justify spending tens of thousands of pounds to be able to go to a certain place to report on on a particular story. And then also, I think there are some situations, and I've written about this before when it comes to Iraq, where people have seen so much destruction and death and violence and news that's come out of a particular region that it takes a lot more for it to make the news or to have a significant part of the news because I think of compassion fatigue, which is something that 
you know, is, is difficult and something that I've looked at myself and I've worked in a newsroom and wondered why a car bomb in Iraq hasn't been covered as much as it should have been. Unfortunately, the way that, you know, journalism is, money does have a, a huge impact on how things are covered. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. I get my news mostly from um, the internet. Um, I have The Guardian, BBC and then Sky as well. To be honest, I've just downloaded them on my phone and I don't really go on them that much. Um, and it comes to mainstream media, it's all bullshit. I don't really listen to much of what they say. I don't think international news is well covered in the UK, to be honest. I think it's one of the reasons why I choose to um, keep up to date through outlets like Al Jazeera, which I don't think is, is very healthy. It doesn't give the UK a very good perspective on what's happening. I mainly use social media and like what my mates already told me because I am lazy. I'm going to ask all three of you, where do you get most of your news? Do you sit down and watch the BBC news at 10, you know, or do you, where do you consume your news? Yeah, I consume my news on social media because I get like news updates on my phone. So I feel like that's where I get mine. What about you, Abdul? Definitely from the social media. For example, since we're specifically talking about Kashmir, I know a person who, who does live there in Jammu and Kashmir. I did ask him what's happening in Kashmir right now so I can get like up-to-date information but he was like I can't because I might get arrested oh wow so you this can provide enough inf- information that what's mm. going on right now so we already we already knew about the blackout that happened there and now only recently I think uh, god knows how many weeks ago they kind of gave semi-internet access again so let's say these news outlets such as Sky or BBC did cover it and did put put it on the news what we're going through how do you think it can benefit the whole thing it can benefit tremendously because imagine now if you have more information about a certain thing more intentional will be there that means the people there have to like the government has to take more precautions because any wrong move they take could kind of uh, backfire put them in put them in jeopardy like their reputation that alone is magnificent on his, on his way and then let alone the maybe the political support that can come from it that's one of the main issues that journalism is is facing at the moment and that that is basically financing it and and then also putting things out that is in the interest of the public rather than you know just what the public are interested in and and as you can see obviously in the united kingdom when it comes to what's going on at the moment whether it's you know coronavirus or or brexit that is going to take the bulk of the news programming because that's what people in the United Kingdom, the majority, want to hear and are interested in is switching their, their TVs on uh, to hear about. And so therefore, you know, that does mean that international news will generally have a smaller slot in the day, you know, on, on a daily basis. And Hind, do you think it's an issue that now, like most news companies are only covering things that have to do with COVID-19? 
COVID-19 is, you know, something that none of us have experienced in our lifetime. It's, uh, you know, it's a shared world experience, a global pandemic, one that could potentially happen again. So it's a real thing that we need to deal with and it is killing a lot of people all over the world. But there are some countries where every day they live in conflict. They live with the threat of violence. And what coronavirus has done to those communities is just compounded the life that they're living, the problems that they're facing even even further. So if you just look at Syria, for example, and uh, what's happening there, for people the primary focus of their life is existence and trying to live and not be killed. And so coronavirus is something that is another threat on top of that. In Yemen is exactly the same situation. Yemen was described by the United Nations as the biggest humanitarian crisis in the world. It had one of the biggest outbreaks of cholera um, that's ever been witnessed in history. People have died in a war that's been going on for years now. And so I do think there is an issue here where the, the countries which are, which deal with this violence and conflict on a daily basis and are still it's still happening there, their stories are not being told. Yeah, and I feel like I totally agree with that because I know obviously COVID-19 is such an important issue and it should be like, you know, reported in the news. So because it's now consuming the news, and I want to direct this question more to Abdul, what can like we do as citizens now on social media because I've been seeing a lot of things about Nepal more on social media than in the actual news so now our voice is kind of being heard through social media so have you like I don't know how much you use it but do you promote things that are going on and share it or have you found anything about it on oh yeah definitely definitely um one thing I like to do personally because the principle because a lot of things on social media sometimes it can be classed as fake or something made up so when I do receive something I kind of like want to double check it so if I do find it to be true, then I will share it. I promote other people, kind of, you also share it because this matter is quite serious. Let's say before all this COVID-19 thing blows over, use the social media kind of to build up the support. So after COVID-19, uh, COVID-19 kind of settles down, you can mm-hmm. you already have that kind of backing. I wanted to go back to a point that Hind made about these big outlets kind of presuming what the consumers want to hear about and see about. Do you think there's anything we can do as members of the public to really tell them what we want to hear about? I think it's, I guess it's the way that you consume news and it's where you log on. The reality is that, you know, you'll be consuming the news on a different platform and the platform that you consume the news on will probably cater their content for you. The reality with the big organisations, that's not necessarily the case. And and by the way, just, just to clarify, I know that, editors, news editors at these organisations, whether it's newspapers or whether it's on TV, they really do push and try to push and want to push um, stories and news stories that are underreported and they put resources into it and they will try their hardest to get those out there. I, I do believe that and I know a lot of them and I know that they're very passionate about the news. I remember one editor for a very well-known newspaper who told me that they commissioned this story on Syria and they put a lot of time and resource and, you know, journalists working on this uh, and they, they put it out on their, their front page 
so it's, it's a newspaper, sorry, but they have an online uh, site as well and they put it on the front and they, they did everything they can to pr promote people reading this story or engaging with this story and it did, it, it, it did incredibly badly. People didn't engage with it as much as they did other stories that were going on at the same time despite the way that they promoted it. And, and I, I guess that's the issue. And that doesn't happen all the time, of course, during news cycles when there is, you know, if something especially big is happening or especially bad is happening, then yet yeah, the engagement with that particular story might increase. But it's in between these times, it's very difficult to get people to engage. Um, and so I, I guess it's, you know, if you want the large news organizations, the other news organizations that you might not be consuming your news with to listen to you more. It would be about watching them and engaging with them and then also, you know, telling them whether it's on social media or wherever that you want to see more of this or I guess because clicks will convert. So if you're watching something on, on the BBC and it's specifically about Kashmir or it's specifically about Nepal and they're seeing large engagements with these stories, they'll know that there is there is a viewership there. Yeah, I definitely agree. And especially when you were talking about like editors and foreign correspondents, because my uncle's an editor himself and he's always trying to push stories like that are not being reported. And like you said, sometimes it doesn't it doesn't do well and sometimes it doesn't get the backing of of other people and I think it just shows how important like your role is and how these other editors roles are because they're actually pushing a lot of stories and I do feel like sometimes on social media they could actually get a lot of hate but how do you think foreign correspondents can actually shape public knowledge like when they're reporting or even effectively most of the correspondents that I know or the foreign correspondents that I know, the most important thing for them is when they speak to individuals and get their experience, they want to make sure that that gets across. So when we go to report on a particular conflict or in a particular area, we try and get somebody who is there and experiencing what they're experiencing to tell that story. For example, when we went to Kashmir last year, we went to, and excuse me, Abdul, if I'm pronouncing this wrong, but Batal, it's called Batal, and it's a very small play village and it's very close to the line of control. And there was a man who had been killed by a mortar shell. He'd been in his house and he was killed by a mortar shell, uh, which was fired from the Indian side. And we were at his funeral and we spoke to his family members and his cousins. And so for us, the important part was telling that story of grief and allowing people to talk about that, the impact that it has on their daily lives, because the greatest way to get people to engage is to allow people to re to relate and to see and to empathize with somebody else and there is no bigger you know empathy than hearing an individual tell very specifically of how um an act of violence has impacted them because very often you know we we hear figures and we hear you know 20 people are being killed here or 12 people are being killed in the past month but when you see a person's face and you hear their story and you see yourself in them, I think that's the greatest way of being able to get people to engage. And I think it's the best way of telling news. Yeah, so there was an, uh, an article on Al Jazeera about mental health, men's mental health in Africa, which really resonated with me. And it was nice to know that despite the fact that I obviously live so far away in, in such a different context, that I could really relate to it. 
I just go to like journals or like people are on the ground or people are at the place or like actual diaries or uh, accounts from people wherever the news I'm looking for is occurring. Um, that's the kind of stuff I go for. I'm just wondering whether there's any particular um, news segment that you guys have seen that has had an impact on you or that you've learned something from. There's like a YouTuber who, who talks, he's the Dr. Campbell. He talks about COVID-19 and the symptoms and whatnot. His subscriber, subscribers have gone up by a large amount, which shows the attraction to his kind of uh, content. So people get a lot of information from him, more so than probably the fear-mongering, as some people might want to call it, from news sometimes, where they only talk about death, not the people who recovered, and maybe what's the situation in a total kind of way, instead of just talking about deaths and this many people died every day and whatnot. And that kind of makes sense. I really like the way that The Guardian reports news, especially on like showing the side of the, the minorities. And I really appreciate that because I can tell that they have good journalists behind the scenes. Like, and even when the whole coronavirus thing was happening, every week they would put on their social media like positive news stories that you missed. And I thought that was really thoughtful. Like That's something I would be interested in. So mine in general would be the way that The Guardian reports their news. Yeah, I agree with what Abdul and Sabrina said. I don't really like watch news like that but i will say i find it like important that you know reporters and journalists do kind of try to tell both sides of the story i like that you're talking about different representations because i think that's the main thing if there's a lot of diversity in the workplace but not just journalist wise behind the scenes especially higher up so like you both were saying about who writes this like the people that are writing it actually representing those people and knowing what to say because I think if representation was there and diversity was there then it would be much more effective news if that makes sense I, th I think that's actually a really good point. I think that's a really good point. And we've seen that with, you know, when there wasn't enough women um, who were being used in the media who for, for whatever reports that a lot of women journalists got together and created spreadsheets of other women. Um, you know, if you want somebody to speak about the economy, here are some very well-established women, uh, female journalists that you could use. And I guess, you know, if you found out or researched or saw who, which journalists you really admired who were on the ground in Nepal or in Kashmir or wherever, because there are some really, as I said, really incredible journalists who are doing reports, but they might not just be front and centre in whatever they're doing. So, for example, like I said, I always believed that the destruction and violence that Iraqis faced on a daily basis deserved more front and centre coverage. But that's not to say that there isn't incredible journalists at all the different organizations at the BBC or at Washington Post or at New York Times who are risking their lives to stay in these countries and report from there so that we can consume the news it's just it's not you know we're not engaging with it as much as we should or it's not being put front and center of the news so I guess you found out who you admire in Nepal or in Kashmir or in in different places and engage with them and you know if there was some form of network that was created for journalists to be able to amplify their voices that's mm -hmm. I, I definitely agree that's a way to do it oh and also just bringing news from 
other politics from countries to our politics. There's also like a Nepalese influencer from the UK who actually doesn't just show the news, but shows what you can do in your country to help people from other countries. So like there's loads of posts on like George Floyd, for example, what you can do in the UK to help the things that happen in America. And one key thing, which I just want to tell Abdul as well, is like you can write letters to your embassy in London. So they we have a Nepalese embassy, so you can write letters to them to say this is what you should do and to show that there's an interest there. So just saying what you can do in this country to help others. That's yeah, that's, that's, that's a really good point, that is. A massive thank you to Hind and Abdul for joining us today. Yes, thank you. I think that was a very informative conversation. It just shows how significant it is for people to be represented in the media and to have a diverse work environment, especially in media environments. And I know loads of people say there needs to be diversity, there needs to be diversity, but it should actually be put in and enforced. Thank you for listening to Vent Weekly. I've been Santos. And I've been Suprina. And thanks a lot to Abdul and Hind for coming on. This episode was produced by the Vent production team. Jess Lawson, Amelia Gill, Moeed Majid and Ali Adlington. Vent is a collaboration between Vice and Brent London Borough of Culture 2020. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.